Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. I am your host for today, Karen. Kathy and I are traveling the next couple of weeks, so we will be swapping around who is available for each podcast. Today, we are discussing episodes 15 and 16 of Yanxi Gonglue, or the story of Yanxi Palace. These two episodes have three distinct topics, if you will, that serve to help further the development and conflict in the overall drama. If you have any questions or comments, please do reach out to us at Kathy at ChasingDramas.com or on Instagram and Twitter at ChasingDramas. Always happy to answer any questions or just talk about Chinese dramas in general. As we normally do, the podcast episode will first do an episode recap of the drama and then go into some culture and history portrayed in the drama. In the last couple of episodes, we met the body Prince Yi or Yi Qin Wang, cousin to the Emperor Qianlong. He tried to kill Ying Luo for Gao Guifei and Jia Guiren. Fortunately, his little games did not succeed and he was reprimanded by the Emperor. At the end of episode 14, we see that the palace is preparing for a ritual where the emperor rewards court officials and imperial officers with a certain kind of meat. This meat is called zuo As explained by Er Qing, the empress's head maid, the meat is cooked with just water and no other seasoning. Oftentimes, the meat could be raw. Despite this being a reward, quote-unquote, it's not really one. Apparently, an official previously passed out from eating the meat, but was beaten for his disrespect. Ying Luo takes this opportunity to seek revenge. How? She puts salt in a package that she gives to Fu Hong. She still believes that Fu Hong killed or humiliated her sister, and so thinks to give this salt to Fu Hong to add to the meat. If he is discovered to have added salt, he's toast. She also pumps into Prince Yi again as well, who haughtily laughs that she will never touch him. But the day of the ritual arrives, and it is a grand affair. I will say I'm quite impressed that the drama portrayed such a grand scene for such a short period of time. In episode 15, the members of the imperial family, court ministers, and the imperial guards are all given a slice of this unappealing and unappetizing meat. As they are cutting up the meat and taking a bite, though, the emperor is informed of something and each person's plate is investigated. Turns out that this Yi Qin Wang has added salt to his meat. The emperor is absolutely enraged at hearing this, as this act is a complete act of disrespect for their ancestors and tradition. The emperor has Yi Qinwang removed from his post and sent to be investigated at the imperial clan court. That is a very serious punishment. And in the first six minutes of episode 15, Ying Luo rids herself of another meddlesome foe, for it was she who spilled that there was salt in the meat. The emperor then gives an angry speech about the importance of this ritual and investigates everyone else, only to find that no one else has added salt. Ying Luo is confused and goes to speak with Fu Hong. 
At first, she still puts on an act that she was worried about him, but quickly drops the facade when he confronts her. He has seen through that she may not be as sweet and caring as she tries to portray. Ying Luo promptly accuses Fu Hong of harming her sister, but he adamantly denies it. He doesn't have evidence to help him on the contrary, so he promises that he didn't do it, or fa shi, which we talked about in previous episodes, and even gives Ying Luo a knife to kill him if she doesn't believe that he was not the culprit. Ying Luo, to her credit, actually does stab him in the chest, but it's not deep. He doesn't dodge it, and she lets go of the knife before running away. Ying Luo, though, back in her rooms, thought that her life was over because she couldn't kill Fu Hung and has made such a terrible error in harming said gentleman. The Empress shortly after summons her in anger, but instead of punishing her for injuring her brother, she is furious that Ying Luo messed with Prince Yi. The Empress saw through the fact that Ying Luo was the one who set up Prince Yi, but evidently, Fu Hong also didn't say anything about the fact that he was injured at the hands of Ying Luo. Ying Luo is punished for what she did to Prince Yi, but is also told to give medicine to Fu Hong, who apparently was injured at practice. We all know that's not true. Once at Fu Hong's place, the two finally have an open discussion on Ying Luo's sister. Fu Hong says once again that he does not know who Ying Luo's sister is or Aman, but her story was heard all throughout the palace, and therefore it's not like he doesn't know of her. He also denies any knowledge of why his jade pendant was with her sister the night she died. Ying Luo finally lets down her guard and is now more believing of his words, whereas previously she totally thought he was the culprit. Fu Hong that cheeky guy takes this opportunity to press whether or not Ying Luo didn't stab him harder because she was scared or because she has some feelings. He even grabs her hand when asking her this question. Evidently, this guy is quite smitten with Ying Luo, even if she doesn't have feelings yet or know if she has feelings yet. Their little intimate moment is interrupted by Fu Hung's hilarious friend, Hai Lan Cha, which causes Ying Luo to turn red and flee immediately. I'm quite impressed with Fu Hung's, I guess, frankness, but it's like, dude, we all know that maids and imperial guards aren't supposed to be, you know, interacting with each other, but I guess you totally forgot about that role. Okay. We turn now to Xian Fei, who was given custody of the fourth prince, son of Jia Guiren. In the last episode, this was done by the emperor as punishment for Jia Guiren's behavior and actions towards Ying Luo, because it was evidently her who leveraged Prince Yi to get rid of Ying Luo for Jia Guiren and Gao Guifei. Xian Fei is now in charge of raising the fourth prince, but the cute little bumpkin isn't too fond of Xian Fei. I mean, that's fair. Being raised suddenly by another woman and not seeing your own birth mother would make a child feel uncomfortable. Jia Guiren also constantly begs to see her son. One day after feeding the fourth prince some kanji, Xian Fei hears that the fourth prince is ill. 
Jia Guiren and Gao Guifei are both there, with Jia Guiren blaming Xian Fei for not taking care of her son properly. At this point, the emperor also arrives to hear Jia Guiren blame Xian Fei. These two ladies put on a show that despite the faults of Jia Guiren, the fourth prince shouldn't have to endure not being with his birth mother. Gao Guifei also chimes in that she could possibly raise the fourth prince and just have Jia Guiren nearby to help since they're living in the same palace at least. Just as these two ladies are about to succeed though and bring back the fourth prince, Chun Fei arrives with the imperial doctor. Chun Fei has some medical knowledge as well and the doctor diagnoses the fourth prince with him just having a slight cold. Chun Fei, with her medical knowledge, steps in to question why would the fourth prince catch a cold when there are so many blankets, clothes, and uh, other warm things around him to keep him warm. The doctor replies that this could happen if the child is bundled up too heavily, causing him to sweat and then catch a cold. After some further inquiry, the wet nurse reveals that she was instructed to bundle up the fourth prince by none other than Jia Guiren herself in order to make the fourth prince, her own son, sick so that it would be easier for her to bring him home. Ugh, sigh. All I can say that I don't think this Jia Guiren is too smart because her tactics are too easily revealed. I mean, with one questioning, the whole world knows that it was Jia Guiren who told this wet nurse to do uh, this thing against her daughter. And regardless, the emperor has enough of her lies because this is like strike five now. And so he has her demoted all the way to dying and banished to essentially the cold palace. The fourth prince is also to stay with Xian Fei. So good job, Zagorin. You just made everything a lot worse. For yourself, at least. We now turn to episode 16, Jia Guiren, or now she's Jin Daying, but I'm just going to continue calling her Jia Guiren for uh, continuity's sake. She is crying in her new accommodations in Beizan Suo, or essentially the cold palace. She is mistreated by the servants, but I mean, she still has a temper, which I'm like, dude, you can't at this point. Soon after, though, she is visited by none other than Xian Fei. At long last, Jia Guiren finally lets out her frustration at her predicament in life. And it's an impressive scene between these two ladies. She cries that she does not have any qualms or issues against the Empress or many of the other women in the palace, but she is forced to help Gao Guifei because her family has power and status that surpasses her, Jia Guiren's own. She, Jia Guiren, has no choice but to help Gao Guifei because she has no support whatsoever. The only thing she does have is her son. Jia Guiren argues that no one loves her son more than her, but you have to understand that she's the one to harm him in the first place to get him back. So, eh, you listeners decide if it makes her a good mother. In my view, her primary issue is that she blames everyone but herself for her fate, rather than realizing that she should take some responsibility. The alternative view is that this is the tragic reality of life in the palace, because it's not the first time we've seen such 
unsupported mothers have to turn to these vile tactics in order to survive in the palace. Xianfei, though, isn't here to laugh at Jia Guiren. All she wants to know is whether or not Yi Qinlong acted at the behest of Gao Guifei to snitch on her, Xianfei's father. Jia Guiren, having nothing to lose, confirms this, which is a revelation for Xianfei. Xianfei's brother and mother's deaths and her father ending up in prison were all due to Gao Guifei. Jia Guiren, though, just laughs and puts the blame back on Xianfei. She yells that it's because of Xianfei's weakness and actions in the palace that caused her family to be destroyed. Triggered by Jia Guiren's words and because they mirrored what her own mother told her right before she died, Xianfei finally snaps. With a long white cloth she brought with her, and to be honest, I don't know where that cloth came from, she strangles Jia Guiren. This is the final turning point for Xianfei and the point of no return. She vows that she will enact revenge on every single person that hurt her in the palace. And as we've seen in other dramas, this is the type of woman who is most dangerous in the palace. On the surface, she is calm, serene, and kind, unjealous, uncompetitive, but underneath has so much hatred and anger just ready to be unleashed. As she explained to Jia Guiren, she was the one to invite Chunfei to her palace. Otherwise, it wouldn't be so coincidental for Chunfei to arrive to help Xianfei with uncovering the truth. Xianfei is not incapable in the palace, but previously just didn't bother. Now that she has finally snapped, she will make people pay. And quite honestly, that just makes her a more interesting character. We now move on to the third part of these two episodes, and that is the Lily or Bai He relationship that was possibly exhibited in the palace. We return back to the Empress and her palace of Changchungong. Erqing, despite the Empress's indignation, reminds her, the Empress, that it is time for the Empress to produce an heir. This is the utmost important task for the Empress in her position. But at night, we see the Empress shivering with cold, which is rather odd. But something else that uh, the Empress does not want Yingluo to make a big deal out of. Soon after, though, Chunfei is invited to Changchun Palace, and the Empress requests that only the two of them stay. Every other maid is told to wait outside. This piques the interests of Mingyu, who doesn't understand why the Empress has ushered them away. Chunfei then returns back to Changchun Palace every day for up to four hours with just the two of these ladies in the room. No other maids or servants in sight. Rumors start flying as Gao Guifei hears this peculiar news and finds this also rather odd and then comes up with the possibility that these two women may be <clears throat> a little more than friends. After all, Chunfei doesn't spend time with the emperor at all, but spends most of her time with the empress. The only reason that could be is that they must have some type of forbidden or taboo relationship in the palace. So she, Gao Guifei, takes it upon herself to start spreading more rumors. 
Ugh, this woman really just needs to calm down. She is such a drama queen and just creates so much unnecessary chaos in the palace. Gao Guifei even takes it upon herself to have opera singers sing an opera, a peaking opera, that alludes to this forbidden relationship when the emperor walks by. After hearing the opera and kind of guessing the underlying meaning, of course, he is furious and rushes over to Changchun Gong to see the empress and catch her in the act. Ying Luo just so happens to have seen the emperor hurry this way and runs back as well. Just as the emperor is about to enter the palace, he runs into, or you could say Ying Luo runs into him with a bucket of water and spills it all over him. She then loudly proclaims that it was just an accident, but the emperor doesn't have time for her. He's annoyed, but he's like, no, I have to catch more important things. He storms into the empress's palace to find that she and Chun Fei were just painting. They explain that the two of them are secretly trying to prepare a gift for the emperor's birthday that is coming up. They wanted to create a surprise and that the idea was for the empress to paint a painting herself for the emperor. Except Huang Hou, the empress, was never pleased with any version of the painting she's done so far and thus has been painting nonstop. This does help quell the emperor's suspicion and he goes off to change out of his wet clothes before complaining to the empress that he thinks Ying Luo totally ran into him on purpose and did so because she is trying to get his attention. It's like, dude, okay, emperor, not every woman wants to be with you. The empress can only smile at his accusations because she thinks he is just prejudiced against Ying Luo, so he cannot see any good side of her. With that, the emperor is at least happy that the rumors were fake after all and takes his leave. This is also such a double standard, but whatever. Afterwards, the empress and Chun Fei speaks to Ying Luo and Er Qing in private. They explain that Chun Fei has been helping the empress manage her health through acupuncture after the empress's body or health deteriorated quite significantly post-pregnancy and got even worse this winter. This helps explain the sweating, but often cold nights the Empress has had and we've seen in this episode. The reason that Chun Fei must help the Empress in secret is because if word got out that the Empress probably was not fit to bear children, that would be a threat to her position as Empress, but also why it would have been a very bad look if the Emperor ran into the two of them while Chun Fei was helping give acupuncture to the Empress. And that is the drama episode recap for episodes 15 and 16. Before we jump into culture and history, let me share a couple of real-time reactions from fans back in the day for these couple of episodes. For one thing, when Xian Fei or Xie Shiman, Charmaine's character, went full Niu Hulu, everyone was like, praising Shushiman's acting. She is now a badass and won't take anyone's BS anymore. She knows fully how to play the game and she before didn't deign to do so, but now is like, nope, I'm gonna do it. And she has turned it deliciously evil so well without any heavy smoky eye makeup or bright red lips. This will be hilarious because 
If I point this out, maybe you listeners will follow as well. But by this point, I remember everyone saying how this palace drama isn't like other palace dramas because the only one truly fighting in the harem is Gao Guifei. In Chinese terms, the word is Gong Dou, or quite literally, palace fighting. Gao Guifei is all, how do I get rid of my enemies? How do I make the women have a miscarriage? Or how do I win the emperor's favor? She is only on the correct Gong Dou path. The other ladies? Nah, they all have their own storylines, just not surrounding the emperor, which is hilarious. The empress is all serene and kind. She and Wei Yingluo have their own CP going. Chun Fei is all about helping the empress, so they have their own little CP or couples pairing, which is uh, the Chinese term for these types of, I don't know, pairings or relationships. Meanwhile, Xian Fei or Charmaine's character is now hell-bent on revenge. Where's the emperor? Poor guy, he's off focusing on his career. I'll continue to mention this in future episodes because it is a running joke that only Gao Guifei is focused on Gong Dou. Compare this to Chen Huanzhuan or Empresses in the Palace where all of the ladies were focused on Gong Dou. We had the Empress, Hua Fei, An Lingrong, and Jin Huan all caught up in the battle. Here, it's just Gao Guifei. Let us also take a moment to talk a little bit about culture in this drama because for once, we get to talk about homosexuality or implied homosexuality. In episode 16, Chun Fei and the Empress become quite close. Chun Fei applies ancient Chinese herbal practices on the Empress in hopes of helping the Empress heal her body so that she may conceive again. This, of course, meant that the two are in a room for long periods of time with no one around. The rumors, as I mentioned, implied a more intimate relationship. This is probably one of the closest uh, that any drama has come to naming lesbianism in at least a palace drama I've seen. Let me know if you've seen any other drama that kind of implies this. But pay attention because not once is it named. It's just heavily implied. Homosexuality or anything remotely referencing non-heterosexuality is heavily censored in China. So the fact that this rumor becomes a plot point in any drama in China was surprising the first time I watched this show. In China's history, there were actually written accounts of homosexuality, but just much more in reference to gay or bisexual relationships rather than lesbian relationships. There's a term in Chinese called duan xiu, or to cut a sleeve, which is specifically used to reference gay relationships. This term is often used in Chinese dramas when the female lead pretends to be a man and gets close to the male lead. Then people say, oh, you are a duan xiu, which just means like a guy who prefers other men. Now that's a story for another time. Back to lesbian relationships, they're a little bit more hush-hush in Chinese culture, but that didn't mean, or doesn't mean, lesbian relationships didn't exist. Lesbianism is just kind of very discreetly accepted, especially in the palace, where there's only one man. Women often did turn towards one another to, uh, I guess, satisfy sexual and emotional desires. 
In this drama, we only get half an episode of implied lesbianism, which is more than I ever dreamed of in a Chinese drama. So that was quite refreshing to see. I also referenced uh, that there was a baihe relationship. That is kind of the um, current term to reference a lesbian relationship, especially in dramas or in books. Baihe means lily. With that out of the way, let's talk about some history. From a historical perspective, let's discuss the fenfu chizhou ceremony or sharing prosperity by sharing meat that we saw at the beginning of episode 15 and the end of episode 14. The origin of this ceremony is as discussed in the drama. The founding Khan of the later Jin Dynasty and Qing Dynasty left his family at a young age. He and his loyal followers survived by boiling meat in just water. Once the Manchus conquered China and established the Qing Dynasty, this custom was upheld and continued throughout the centuries as a reminder to the later generations to never forget the hardships their ancestors endured. The sacrificial meat in question is pork, specifically two black male pigs. The butchering must happen in front of these spiritual tablets. At the same time, there's praying from the devout and ceremonial music that's played by the shamans. Each part of the pig has specific uses for the ceremony. The innards are placed onto a spiritual pole to feed the crows, which are revered in Manchu religion. The pork meat is cut into squares called zuozhou. The palace where all of this happens is Kunninggong, or the Palace of Earthly Tranquility. If this name sounds familiar, it is because, yes, it's typically where the Empress resides, but mainly for the Ming Dynasty and early Qing Dynasty Empresses. During the reign of Yongzheng, the Empress moved out of Kunninggong to live in other palaces, so that Kunninggong was left as mainly a palace for ceremonial rites. For this drama, the Empress lives in Changchungong and in Zhenhuanzhuan. The Empress in that drama lived in Jingrengong. During the Qing Dynasty, Kunninggong had daily sacrifices. These daily sacrifices required two pigs. For grand sacrifices, such as the ones to celebrate the New Year, they required a lot more, maybe over 30. Each year, Around a thousand pigs were sacrificed for these ceremonies. A ledger noted that for a full year, the cost for these pigs was around 15,000 tails of silver. That's a lot of really expensive pigs. Now, it might seem like a tough meal, but it was a real honor for ministers and officials to be allowed to eat this meat, this zuozhou that we saw in the end of episode 14 and episode 15 because it meant that they were viewed as important. There are folk legends that when ministers died, they had their families create banners stating that they ate meat at the Palace of Earthly Tranquility because, you know, it was such an honor. But I guess for ministers and members of the royal family who had to eat this pretty regularly, it was probably a bit of a challenge. I mean, there was no flavor to the meat, and as was described in the drama, sometimes the meat was raw. Some ministers would quietly add some flavor to the meat by adding some sauce to the serviette so that they could use the knife to add uh, flavor onto the meat. 
Of course, the emperor himself could decide when and whether or not to make a big deal out of uh, his subjects cheating. In this episode, the emperor wanted to set an example of Yi Qin Wang. The funny thing is, even though his subjects ate basically raw or flavorless meat, the emperor himself was allowed <laughs> appetizers and soup to go along with his meal. There's a record of Emperor Qianlong, so our current emperor, the meal, early in his reign, in which there was clearly soup and some other greens that went along with his sacrificial meal. Things got a lot better in later Qing Dynasty, in which salt was given to the ministers so that it wasn't as terrible. But I guess as emperor, you do have perks to not, you know, die of food poisoning from raw meat. There were some crazy stories about the ceremony and sacrificial meat, though. Apparently, during the reign of Emperor Yongzheng, some eunuchs dared and succeeded in swapping out the sacrificial meat to sell outside the palace walls. It got so bad that the emperor decreed that if anyone got caught selling or swapping the meat out, they would be subject to 40 canings. There's another guy who was 76 and retired. The year was 1839, and this was during the reign of Emperor Dao Guang. During one of these ceremonies, the emperor suddenly remembered this retired minister and gifted this sacrificial meat to him. Well, this guy's son was at court, and the son had no choice but to accept the meat, quickly wrap it in salt, and sent it immediately back to Yangzhou. Ladies and gentlemen, that's like a thousand kilometers away. The journey took 17 days. Because this was sacrificial meat, the retired minister brought his entire family out to receive the gift and had it boiled and eaten on the spot. It was a great honor, but apparently <laughs> the whole family had to wash their meal down with a bunch of water due to how salty the meat was. Fast forward to today, eating white pork meat is still a custom that lives on. If you head to Beijing, it's a famous casserole pot dish called Sha Guo Bai Rou. It's quite good because obviously there's flavor and all that. And there is a restaurant called He Shun Ju that's been open since the days of Emperor Qianlong that specializes in this dish. Okay, that was a lot about some sacrificial meat. So let's move on to our last bit of history. And it's something that was mentioned in passing, but... I like it quite a lot, so I'm going to talk about it. This is the Kuai Xue Shi Qing Tie, or the Bright Sky After Fast Snow Calligraphy by Wang Xizhi. This is the gift that Gao Guifei gives to the emperor in episode 16, right before he rushes off to catch the empress and Chun Fei. This calligraphy was written by the famed calligraphy Wang Xizhi. We've definitely discussed him in one of our Story of Mingland episodes, but here is a refresher. This guy was born in 303 uh, AD during the Jin Dynasty. He hailed from the famous Langya Wang family. Wang Xizhi is sometimes known as Shu Sheng or the master calligrapher. He was indeed a master calligrapher, especially of running script, or Xing Shu. His most famous work, or at least to me, is Lan Ting Xu, or Preface to the Poems, composed at the Orchid Pavilion, written in 353. 
The calligraphy script in question for this drama is called "Kuai Xue Shi Qing Tie," or "The Bright Sky After Fast Snow Calligraphy," and that was written by Wang Xizhi in his later years. It has four lines with only twenty-eight words and is about a jovial greeting towards family and friends in the bright sunlight after heavy snow. The calligraphy itself uses a mix of running and regular script, and is a quite a beautiful work. This piece of calligraphy, along with the other two named in the drama, which includes Wang Xianzhi's Zhong Qiu Tie or Autumn Calligraphy and Wang Xun's Bo Yuan Tie, were bestowed the name San Xi Tie or the Three Rare Scripts by Emperor Qianlong. Another reminder to our listeners that unfortunately, no original work from Wang Xizhi has survived. But this one is probably the one that comes up for debate the most as an original work. In regards to this particular work, during the Northern Song Dynasty or 11 to 12th centuries AD, they believed it was an original work. However, nowadays it's widely believed that this piece is a very good replica from the Tang Dynasty, which is several centuries after the Jin Dynasty. The history of ownership of this piece of calligraphy, or this tie, is also quite astounding. It was first gifted to the Tang Dynasty Prime Minister Wei Zheng, and then was gifted to a family of scholars in the Northern Song Dynasty. By the time of the Southern Song Dynasty, the work was gifted to the emperor. It passed through the hands of calligraphy collectors and royal households until it was finally acquired by none other than Qianlong Emperor in 1746. The current drama still isn't there yet in terms of timeline, but that's okay because I still want to give the drama kudos for correctly placing this piece of calligraphy as a treasured collector's item in Emperor Qianlong's collection. This piece was placed in the Beijing Palace Museum in 1925, but was transferred south during World War II. In 1949, the Chinese Nationalist Party brought this to Taiwan. This timeless work is now found within the National Palace Museum, right outside of Taipei or Taipei. So, if any of you have an interest in checking out this piece of history or calligraphy, and you happen to drop by Taipei, Why not check it out? That is it for today. There is also a snippet about Peking Opera、uh, from this episode, but we'll talk about that more in future episodes. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please again reach out to us at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas dot com. And a reminder that if you are looking for any of these podcast transcripts or the scripts that we write for these podcast episodes, we are now uploading them every week after we publish. For those of you who are in the states and are interested in watching Chinese dramas and movies, please do check out our sponsor Jubao TV, which has a number of Chinese dramas and movies with English subtitles for free on their platform. Online, you can check them out at Jumo or Xumo. Or else on TV on Xfinity and Cox Contour, as well as Sling TV. The music you heard today is called "Xueluoxia" the Shengyin on Chinese Zither, played by yours truly. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you all in the next episode.